0: Welcome back to Lost Byways, a podcast about troubadours, vagabonds, and travelers. Uh, this is episode two. This week we catch up with the man behind Mustang Brewing Company in Oklahoma City, Tim Shullin. Uh We got Tim to chat a little bit about the state of craft beer, and then we drug him down a few... Uh, roads, as we tend to do. And then later in the episode, Ira Hicks headed down to the Warmer Dog Saloon and chatted with Derek Paul about his recent release with uh, his band, The Handsome Devils. And if you only listen to one thing this week, be sure to catch the live recording of his song, Wolves, at the end. That's one of those songs you just kind of have to hear. Uh, let's hit the road.
1: I'm Tim Schoelen, founder of Mustang Brewing Company, omnipotent being in Oklahoma City. Uh, we served our first pint May 13th? To, no, July 13th, 2009. Our anniversary week was not too long ago, and I'm still recovering. Uh, you know, I th- think it's been really interesting to watch the rise of craft beer, especially in Oklahoma. Uh, you know, th- the industry in Oklahoma is probably six to eight years old, right? We were third or fourth on the yeah. scene. Uh, and so where it started as kind of this local movement of, hey, try these, try these local beers, has turned into this try these craft beers. And so what you're seeing now is this entree of, of beers, craft beer companies from the East and West Coast who traditionally bypassed our state that are that are now i mean green flash uh, Lagunitas, uh you know who are kind of flooding our state now with beer and and so i think what i see is, is i see people who at first were kind of hey try local or now just try craft and they're moving away from those local selections to these new beers that are coming in and it could it could be dangerous for the local breweries it's, how do you say it? It's, uh, it's maybe corporate darwinism right i mean you have these folks who are coming in do, and do, do you believe in that uh I, I do if I'm, the, <laughs> if I'm the big shark eating the small shark i right. believe it if i'm the small shark i want protection i i just right? think that's I, that's the uh, yeah, the american way
2: it, i think it's i think it is interesting that you know you were you were a small fish in a small pond when you started and now you're still a small fish in a ever growing pond so there's 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 a lot of interesting things that could happen um with that in the next few years Are well i excited? mean i
1: mean so so look at it, right i mean i started it on a five gallon turkey fryer in my garage, right, and now it's a million-dollar company in six years. Amazing, right? That doesn't mean I'm making any profit. It just means it's a million-dollar <laughs> company in six years. These these companies that are coming in are billion-dollar corporations that probably spill more in a day than I'll make in an entire year, and so for them to come in and spend money to. Overthrow these, you know, semi-popular local beers. It's easy.
2: But are are you okay with that? I mean, because because well, in the because in the, the okay end, no, no,
1: no, I'm, <laughs> saying, I'm saying I'm saying in <laughs> yeah. I look forward
2: to bankruptcy. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, what what I mean what I mean what I mean is, is is like there you you sparked a fire that got these bigger craft beer companies in. So you might die in the process, but at least <laughs> we're at least now we have craft beers in Oklahoma. I'm a martyr. Damn it.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, you know, I think so. So we. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. So we sparked this fire. We we made people aware of craft beer in Oklahoma, right? And now those same people that we made aware of craft beer have kind of forgotten how they, you know, what got them here. And so I think it, it's very dangerous for these local breweries because now we're being bypassed. And I what I wish had started was a support local movement, not so much a support craft beer movement, because right. then no matter who comes in, you're still supporting local. If you we were just discussing earlier, right, before the mics went live, uh, St. Louis. If you look at St. Louis, there's a great example of. I mean, a beer mecca for, the, for American beer, right? Yeah. And I know that you know folks don't consider Budweiser a craft beer. There was a time. They just make it the hard way. They were. Well, that's what I heard. On, that's what I saw in that commercial. Um, let them have their peach wheat ales. Okay. Um, okay, I like it. Sounds good. <laughs> um, but, you know, look at, look at St. Louis, right? There's something like 15 breweries that have opened up in St. Louis now. And they're on every corner. And they're pulling, I mean, a diehard I drink Bud place, right? And wow. they're pulling beer away. It seems I mean I travel a lot lately, and I, so I,
3: I I focus on trying craft beers everywhere I go that are local and intrinsic to the place. And I spent a little bit of time a couple months ago in St. Louis talking to some people that were really enthusiastic about the beer scene out there, and the the thing was, it seemed for so many years Budweiser dominated, you know the the beer scene. It wasn't a it wasn't a craft scene or anything else. It was just that was that was their hometown boy made good, you know St. Louis. Was Budweiser? Hell, they employed and, half the city. And well, and yeah. then and they did. They supported everything. All of their museums are free because of Budweiser. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, Budweiser poured a ton of money into that community. So, 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 it, when so in they, the
2: end, they they supported local. Yeah, it just
3: it just got it, big. They sold, um, especially when they sold outside of America. The people there kind of felt betrayed, and it wasn't even they're not. I, I don't think that they're mad at Budweiser. It's that the beer wasn't good enough to begin with for them to not for them to no longer be a local product. You know, so they they were drinking <laughs> wow. it not because they loved it, because they but because it was their own, and now it's not their own anymore. Damn it, it's Beechwood aged there you go <laughs> well that, that is the problem did they stop and think that Beechwood sucks <laughs> but, but no and so now there's these other guys that are out there and and so they're starting to think about them a little bit more you know i i brought you know i brought a uh, hundred bucks worth of st louis stuff home uh thanks for sharing i'm all way back
1: did you bring back some urban chestnut oh, I don't remember. that hurts my, my father and my brothers live in St. Louis, and they live down in the uh, the Grove area. And so Urban Chestnut, which started in a gas station about the size of, I mean, honestly, they are about the size of the Mercury Lounge in Tulsa. It's just a little bitty place. They put a brewery in a couple of the bays, and they just kept growing, kept growing. They just bought a 144,000-square-foot building, an old paper plant on a corner, and turned it, in, turned it into a production brewery with this giant tasting room. And, it, and the entire neighborhood like rallies around it. Like That's the focal point. Hey, let's meet at Urban Chestnut taste some beer, and then we'll go out. And that's what the, one of the problems in Oklahoma, these, these antiquated crazy liquor laws that we have where as a small as a small company, I can't sell my product directly to anyone. I have to sell my product to a distributor who then sells it to a retailer who then if I'd like to, I could buy it back from and then I could sell it directly to the, to the public. So by the time that my product gets to the price that a bar pays for it, so it's gone through two layers of markup, it's 100% more expensive than what I sold it for originally. But I'm told that there's only a 25% markup in there, so I'm still trying to do the math. Now, I know there's a 25% markup, but then a 25% markup on the 25%, so maybe somewhere there's some wonderful exponential algebraic, something or other that happens that shows me that that's 100% markup. But it is, in fact, twice the cost. And so the weird thing about Oklahoma is, so if you go to a winery, which typically is 12% alcohol by volume or higher. Well, if there's one
2: thing Oklahoma's known for, it's their
1: wine. Our fine quality wines, absolutely. <laughs> But you can a winery can sell their product directly to the public. You can come in and buy a glass of wine. You can buy a bottle of wine. You can pour from your own bottle, put a cork in it, and walk out the door. You can buy a case of wine. But if you go to a brewery, which typically uh, we have this other weird law in Oklahoma, right? This 3.2 by weight, which is equal to 4% by volume, and you can only sell 3.2 in the grocery stores, and you can't sell refrigerated beer in liquor stores because it's an excess of it's, – it's ridiculous, you know? And so we look at this thing in Oklahoma that's happening right now where so many people are rallying around these – these organizations right that want to change beer laws and then they want us to be more aware and we want cold beer in liquor stores and we want strong beer quote unquote right strong beer in grocery stores and wine in grocery stores think of who is putting money behind that movement it isn't the small companies like myself that are doing it right i mean we may be vocal about it it's these large corporations whether they're distributors or large manufacturers who are behind this that are pushing that, and they're pushing it for their own agenda. And it's that You're they're going to make more money. So
0: you don't have a direct rep on the beer lobby.
1: I don't, no. but I heard the Budweiser drop out. You should
0: definitely so just buy in case,
3: one. Just in case someone actually listens to this podcast, <laughs> like, like tell us, tell us what the right, what change should we support, what reform should we support? Because you know, everyone, I, I, I think I can speak for for most people that w- you know we want what the small breweries want.
1: Well, so it's tough, right? Because let me tell you how it works in other states and and where I've seen it work better. So one of the things they have in other states is they have a franchise law. So another thing about the Oklahoma laws is that when I sell my product, I have to sell it equally at the same price and offer it up at the same quantities to every distributor in the state. And then they all, in turn, sell it to retailers and offer it at the same price. That's a little weird, right? If you go in other states, you have a franchise law. So if I choose a distributor in Dallas, Texas, that, that distributor is the only distributor you can go to for Mustang beer. So they have a vested interest to market Mustang beer and against their competition. In Oklahoma, you just go to a distributor and you can buy anything you want. There, is, there should be no advantage. Now, we know that there are some advantages with other breweries, whether there's family ownership or whether there's some, some ties. You know. And so we're getting closer and closer where those franchise laws are going to have to go into play just because of the way that things are kind of falling into place. So that's one. You ask about what, we sh- what should we support. I personally have a problem with supporting so so let me back up again another weird law we have in Oklahoma is that a liquor store you can only own one liquor store liquor stores can't be owned by corporations or one person can't own multiple liquor stores
2: there goes that dream
1: and so (laughs) so if you so these folks are small every single liquor store you see is a small business owner not one of them is owned by a large corporation so we don't have Costco's and goody goody liquors and these crazy chains, and but yeah, and all this crazy stuff. So, these are mom and pop shops where they've put their life savings into this liquor store. If you go in and take away two thirds of the revenue stream, right? Let's just use raw numbers wine, beer, liquor. If you're going to take away strong beer and wine and you're going to allow it to go to grocery stores, which are chains. Or Costco, or Walmart, or whatever—you're taking away two-thirds of the revenue stream of small business owners in the state. So, 500 plus liquor stores that overnight lose two-thirds of, the, of their revenue stream to Walmart. So, how did that work out for the hardware stores and the clothing stores that were on Main Street USA?
3: You mean the ones that don't exist?
1: Those, yes, absolutely. Drive, go drive through Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Right, Bartlesville, Oklahoma is a beautiful town. Was was home of a major oil company. Had probably one of the most prospering small town downtowns of any of i would say of any small town in, in in the united states just because they had that giant you know bentonville arkansas might be the other one right who had this giant company that stayed there go through there it's all boarded up i mean there's some wonderful restaurants there, but it, for the most part it's boarded up and taken away and it's taken away because these large walmarts and chain stores were allowed to come in and pull business from that's going to happen all across the state so wherever there's a Walmart just expect the liquor store that's by there to end up closing down so that Walmart can carry all the product and if that's what we want to support i think that's great you know back to that corporate darwinism the strong survive i get it you know we can't protect everybody but at the same time it just feels like i, I don't know man it just seems, it feels wrong i couldn't tell you the right answer but i can tell you what i feel it sounds the like wrong there
3: answer. there has to be a little bit of a cultural shift then i mean those of us in Oklahoma City in this in this market i think Tulsa from the outside does a pretty good job of this, but uh from in the Oklahoma City market, we kind of have to put our money where our mouth is a lot of there's a whole lot of talk about supporting local It's kind of like it's just like in it's just like in the music scene with our friend Scott Marsh, who will be on this podcast in the future if uh, you know these these amazing venues that they're building it, if we don't support them it doesn't matter but 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 that I
2: think is is the problem I mean it's so new like it's it's not new to uh it's not new in the sense that you know, like we've never seen this before in Oklahoma. Like, it, it,
1: man, I, th- I think, I think, this, and it goes back to what we said at the beginning. Of this. It really is. And, and Justin was right. It, it is a support local thing. Go to, if you stay in Oklahoma, go to Tulsa. I think Tulsa's done a much better job of supporting local. Don't than you Oklahoma tell me City where has. to go. I'm just saying, go to Austin, Texas. They live and die, not sure. only Texas, which we won't hold that against them completely, but. But Austin, right? Right. Buy Austin, live Austin, keep Austin weird, all this great stuff. Oklahoma City to me is a little different. It, I feel like we've never, like, we're constantly I mean, looking for an identity I mean, yeah, and it's, it's never a, our.
0: We're a city with an inferiority complex. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know to who. No,
1: well, I, I'll, tell,
3: I'll tell you. We, Where we, we shouldn't
0: we, have. have. No. We've, we've,
3: we've and, and in Oklahoma City's defense, I, I legitimately think, with, you know, there's a little bit of permanence going on to the. Uh, to the kind of cultural movement, I've been calling it a cultural renaissance for years now. There's a little more permanence. But that does that's sound dishy when you say that. Yeah, but it's right. <laughs> the the and you know, in the end, I, I care about what's right. <laughs> the, 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 you know, a little more permanence to this cultural scene, and so hopefully that that identity crisis that we've been in for forever and it's fading. It's fading. Oh, yeah, I, th- I think so, man. And and in the end, thank you, corporate overlords, for bringing us the thunder. Yeah.
2: I was going to ask like what what was some of your favorite craft beers that were moving in, but I think you've already. um, No, no, um,
1: I think there are some. I mean, I I am a big fan of Lagunitas. I mean, I I wouldn't make beer if it wasn't for Lagunitas. Uh, Green Flash, the same thing. The whole West Coast IPA movement is because of those two breweries. And someone will argue with me. There is some beer nerd somewhere. Listening to this, you no, can't was, wait to was, send me some hate mail. That no, oh my God, it, it was, was John Andrei yeah and, uh, It was Pliny uh, 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 the Elder on the East Coast. You lying bastard! But you know, it's going to be something, <laughs> right? Somebody will argue with me on that. But really, they're the they're the big the West Coast IPA started yeah. with those two breweries.
3: I got to admit that ever since the Abita uh, moved in, man, I've been pounding the hell out of it, and I, and <laughs> I got so I'm part of the problem here, you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you But I've learned something I've learned something today. You're telling me about what you know about how how of my way.
1: But you know So I will tell you a story about Abita though. If you go to our tasting room it is a blatant plagiar- <laughs> blatantly plagiarized from the abita tasting room one of the first breweries um i used to spend a lot of time in colorado and so let's okay let's talk about that for a second talk about mega breweries right coors started out god bless adolph coors so yeah often. absolutely was as a microbrewery and anybody I went, I went real that, bad real quick I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well it's that weird mustache has. Yeah. Like kind of it- <laughs> but if but if you look at like Coors was a microbrewery. I mean, they were bootlegged all over the country. There was a flippin' movie made about it, right? With the greatest box star sensation of the '70s and '80s, starring in Burt this Reynolds, movie. the Burt Reynolds, sir. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, bootlegging beer from Colorado to Texarkana, right? I mean, that's amazing. Uh, so, I mean. Any any small microbrewery who tells you they don't want to get as big as Miller Coors can suck it, because we all do, because we all want Burt Reynolds in our movie. But, <laughs> well,
2: no, no, to, to, to your point, we all want to be Burt Reynolds. Uh, <laughs> You've just started Mad Men. so I'm a big fan. Yeah, you just started Mad Men. The, the Ryan and Justin are done. They've seen this to completion.
1: Done. I'm finished. Yeah. Yeah. Done. Oh, done. I've, Drop the mic. No one's... <laughs>
3: There's no such thing as being done with Madden. There's only being.
0: I, I may go revisit my old friends. Uh, yeah. yeah. well,
2: well, I just think you know, Don Draper to me comes off as a corporate Burt Reynolds. Am I wrong? <laughs> you take you take Burt Reynolds out of the canoe in Deliverance. You put him you put him in a boardroom.
1: You put him in a wood sided station wagon and drive him into the office. And by God, he's Burt Reynolds.
3: Just to kind of establish our. Um, our personalities here, and what you're what you're going to be devoting all your time to listening to us in the future. <laughs> I'm not against Ira's opinions by and large, because, <laughs> because they're Ira's opinions. It's because most of the time they're complete and utter shit. Here we've stumbled on an opinion that <laughs> that's spot on. <laughs> that's why his mind that, is blown. Actually, that
2: actually has merit. <laughs> well, and, and yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you. This like. Um, a lot of the things that run through my head probably shouldn't. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, not a normal person. I do not claim to be
1: normal. I was, just to, I was
2: really just trying to get Tim to admit that he wants to be Don Draper. First
1: I'm off, gonna... I am Don Draper. Chick magnet. <laughs> Indentured servant to corporate America. Purveyor of all malt whiskeys. That's me. I got it.
0: You can learn more about Mustang Brewing Company by visiting mustangbeer.com. Derek Paul is a Norman, Oklahoma-based singer-songwriter. After returning home from an overseas stint in the army, Derek picked up a guitar and started honing his skills. Now he writes and plays with his band, the Handsome Devils, who just released their self-titled debut album. Our own man on the scene, Ira Hicks, recently sat down with Derek at the Wormy Dog Saloon in OKC.
2: And you—you didn't start playing—you didn't start playing music until you, and you were in the army, right? Yeah. So how old were you when you started? Um,
4: you know, I'd gotten a guitar when I was younger. I'd had one, but I never really. I think my grandpa taught me like a G chord, a D chord, and a C chord, but I never really messed with it. And then uh, when I went overseas, I, I went over and I, when I came home on leave the first time, I grabbed a uh, a guitar and brought it back with me and just started learning how to play guitar. And this was fives. I was 23 years old when I first started picking guitar and. I had, my big brother was really into Mama Sweet. We used to go watch him at the Red Dirt Cafe, Macon Grayson, Mama Sweet, uh, you know, Brandon Jenkins, um, all that stuff, and and, uh, so I just started learning those tunes, and then when we were somewhere that had internet, I'd go download some tablature for songs that I knew, and just learn to play that way. But it was like, you know, there's times that I think, I look at some cats, and I'll be 33 next month, and I'm still, you know, getting by, you know. and I often wonder if I would have started playing younger if I would be further down the path now. But I also, you know, on the opposite side of that coin. Maybe the stories weren't there. Stories weren't there and playing, you know, there's a lot of cats that I know that when they first started playing, even myself when I first started playing, I mean, I was from 06 on, so almost 10 years of playing gigs and I did solo stuff for a while and then I put a band together and that, sucked and then I put another band together and it sucked and then I put then went back to solo stuff for a while because I was tired of having a band is like having three girlfriends you're like you and the guys in the band like you're always fighting and you have the fights and you're it's, it's an emotional thing the boys in my band we're brothers you know and it's like with a girlfriend like they're they're snippy you're snippy with each other and it's not really about that it's about something else and it's about and but so you just get tired of having bands and I've got the devils together and we work really well together. But it's not overnight. This the handsome devils are something that came along after and, and even that's not guaranteed. That's nothing's guaranteed. I mean and I think each project has a certain amount of time before, you know, the candle's only so long, you know. And so it burns out eventually and then you got to go to the next thing or I'm a pretty jovial person. I'm you know me. I'm pretty happy all the time. You wouldn't know that by listening to my songs.
2: Oh well, no, it's to something that I always touch on. I say a lot. It's like, sad songs make me happy. Sad songs, I
4: you, I get the sad out. That way I can be happy the rest of the time. And, and
2: It's that 10 minutes of listening to something real sad, and the rest of the day is all good.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, I will ruin a fucking house party right now with Billy Joel. If you let me get a hold of that, the iPad or the iPod or whatever we're using. I grew up with my mama, and she loved Billy Joel, and, uh, I remember one of the first like birthday presents I ever bought her with my allowance was a Billy Joel cassette tape. But like yeah, Billy Joel all day. Scenes from an Italian restaurant. I mean, that song is amazing. Like it's it's like a it's like a, a piece, you know. You go from the beginning, the slow, and then he things are okay with me these days, and then back to you revisit the the initial part I can't remember all the stuff I learned and Billy Joel. I'll go on record say he's one of the greatest songwriters of all time.
2: Well, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not, I'm not I'm not gonna disagree with you. I, I I mean this is just from my point of view, but I mean he did write Shameless, right? And that's Got the, right.
4: yeah. Yeah, I mean, but Billy Joel says like he won't, he's not gonna put out any more albums because nobody wants to hear a 50 year old man or whatever singing about a 60 year old man singing about his problems or anything. So he writes for a younger artist now, which that's pretty cool, man. To to know to know your role, to know who you are, to know what you're doing, you know and I don't think that we'll ever be on the radio do you you want to be on the radio it'd be cool like fine sure I mean satellite radio something like that but I don't think that that's not what we're going for I just want to make good music and with our last album this the last this one we just put out it go it'll go from you know a pretty rock and roll song or dirty southern rock song to something like Wolves or Cigarettes and Whiskey to where it's more of a singer-songwriter tune to, um, like, uh, hang around, which sounds like a John Prine tune, you know, uh, you know, really Americana-ish. But you also see a lot of bands out there that are every song just sounds like they stand within the parameters of a, We can't do this because that's not you don't that's hear that in this genre.
2: That's, yeah, that's not our sound.
4: And. And I just want to write. And me and the boys, we just want to write good songs. And whether it be this one's a blues song, this one's a folk song, this one's a straight up rock and roll song. Look at Tom Petty. Look at the Heartbreakers. You can listen to those albums, and it was all kinds of different songs on his albums. You know, I mean, they're all kind of in this over, overarching kind of this under this umbrella of a certain thing. He wasn't doing like, you know, won't back down, and the next track was a hip hop track or anything. But it was all kinds of different stuff on that. He was just a songwriter, you know. So my dad told me, I'd written a song when I, one of the biggest kind of light bulbs for me was, I'd written a song and I asked my pops to come out and I was like, dad, I, you know, I wrote this song and it sounds like a honky tonk song, but I'm not a honky tonk guy. Will you help me fix it? Fix it, what it you know. And so he's like, well, play it for me, boy. So I sit and play it and he goes, I don't know what to tell you, you wrote a honky tonk song. I was like, yeah, he's like, you're a songwriter. You're not a, you're just a songwriter. You're just going to write a song, you know? And
0: Derek was generous enough to play a quick song for us. Apologies for the quality. This was shot on the fly. Derek briefly explains the story behind the song Wolves from his album, Derek, Paul and the Handsome Devils.
4: I started writing this about, uh, I had the idea for this tune and I started working on it. It was kind of like, you know, in the movies when you're younger or in the movies, you know, they always, when those wolves are stranded out in the woods, they wave the fire at the wolves, the wolves will run off, you know. And uh, the idea for the song was kind of, uh, the older you get, the problems are bigger. When you're younger, the problems are easy to fix. And, uh, the older you get, you know, they're not so easily fixable, you know. So these wolves ain't afraid of fire out here. And I had this idea, we had just started recording our new album, The Handsome Devils, and, and uh, I'd gone out to my dad's. He Every year, their tour starts off in February. They go down to Houston, play the Livestock Rodeo, or whatever it's called. Yeah, what's called a, the Spin and Cracker. I guess the stage spins. And, and he asked me to come watch his dogs, because there was a storm coming in. He got back in that Tuesday, I think. And uh, the boys came out. We all sat around jamming all day and playing music and showing them the new album. And he was kind of working up bass lines for us and taking what we had and going, OK, I do this here. and then I, So I showed him this new tune, and I only had the first verse and kind of the structure for it. But it was the last new song you got to hear. He passed away the next day in that car wreck. And so after that, it kind of wrote itself, I guess.
5: Up and I climbed even higher, doing the best that I can these days, these wolves out here they ain't afraid of fire, sometimes it's hard to find what you need, pain won't let you go back again. I'm just gonna let it bleed These wolves out here Man, are closing in And I know I give you some sleep I've got this watch That I have to keep And I know If I can make it one more night, one more night. When you lost your closest friend world seems colder since my old man's gone These wolves out here, man, they're closing in And I know I can use some sleep Got this watch I have to keep And I know it'll be alright if I can make it one more night, one more night. When the air gets cold and your light has died And the fire that you built is ash on the ground Find your strength in those by your side And these wolves out here they'll start backing down And I know I give you some sleep Got this watch that I have to keep, and I know that I'll be alright if I can make it one more night. Brighter day, at least another day. Another day.
0: You can find more from Derek Paul and the Handsome Devils by connecting with them on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash hdevils or by visiting reverbnation.com forward slash thehandsomedevils. Lost Byways is a product of Modis Media. All views are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect on the views of Modis or any of its affiliates. Opening music is taken from All Sewn Up by Lucero on their self-titled album. Closing music is from Get Lost by Luke Dick on the album My Blood. Both are available on iTunes or at your favorite local record store. Be sure to subscribe to Lost Byways on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your favorite app. For more information on this episode or others, including links and show notes, visit lostbyways.com.